0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you after the report from the Boston Globe that some progress may have finally been made towards a possible rev stadium effort. Unfortunately for us there was also a game this Saturday that we had to talk about where the Revs fell two to one at the first place Philadelphia Union thanks to two defensive errors after the revolution had scored a sec had taken a second half lead through a great Gustavo Bogle. The loss leaves the Revs with a losing record six, seven and seven after twenty games. I'm Sean Donahue and joining me today is Greg Johnstone. Greg, how's it going?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. I'd rather talk more about the stadium than the game. I think that's the first time in the history of this podcast I've said I'd rather talk stadium rumors than the game. But uh, another disappointing weekend for the revolution and things not going in the right direction after that great in quotation marks, great 10-game uh, unbeaten streak. Uh, two back-to-back losses to two teams that you really want to go out and give your best to. Uh, not 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 great times for uh, Revs fans.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the past two games have been against two really good teams. Philadelphia Union in first place. New York City FC, obviously a very, very strong team. Um, and two losses to those teams wouldn't kill you if, if not for the fact the Revs had already dug themselves in a hole. With that said, the Revs, Led in expected goals 1.4 to 1.3, even with the penalty kick factored in. Um, it had a significant lead in expected goals prior to kind of collapsing in the 75th minute. Also outpossessed the Union with 56% possession. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a really bad first half and a pretty good second half for the Revolution that was destroyed by two terrible defensive errors. Um and with that let's jump right into our key takeaways which are brought to you by our friends at the Rebellion supporter group. Uh be sure to check out The Rebellion on Twitter at Any @rebellion and on their website anyrebellion.org. Um Greg what what was your takeaway from this one?
1: I want to bring back a segment that we had earlier in the season where every time after a Rebs game every, every time after a Rebs loss someone just would always ask us where we were on hitting the panic button. And where we were on the scale of 1 to 10. And I remember back in the day, oh, it's March, it's April. There's a lot of season to play. I'm at about a 6 on the panic scale or a 5 on the panic scale. I'm not too worried. I'm going to bring back the panic button scale. And I'm going to put this at about an 8.5. And I'm not hitting the panic button. But I've tested out the panic button, and I've opened up the case, and my hand is hovering around it. Um, not necessarily because the Revs have lost to Philadelphia 2-1. to one. Philadelphia was the favorite going into this game. I'm not super upset about the fact that they lost 2-1, to one and expected goals were kind of even. If you look at the stats, if you look at how they played most of this game, it was great. But uh, we have another loss here where the Revolution are dropping points because of stupid plays. Because of bad plays, they can't hold leads. They make defensive errors late in games. They don't seem to be closing out games, which is what they kind of specialized last year. And if you look at Philadelphia specifically, I think the Revolution on their best day can go toe-to-toe with Philadelphia. They should have beaten Philadelphia back in May over Memorial Day weekend, but thanks to an Omar Gonzalez error, they ended up drawing that game. They probably could have won this game, uh, but a Petrovic mistake on the corner kick and then a Henry Kessler penalty kick those led to two goals, and you can only write off boneheaded mistakes for so long until it becomes a trend, and you have to kind of accept that this might be who the team is. Uh, there was a stat earlier today, I think it was from Tom Bogart. Who, he, he said that the Revs have dropped 24 points in games in which they've held the lead, and that's by far the most in the league. Um, that's not really a playoff team. That's not, uh, that, that's not something that playoff teams do. They don't drop points after ha- holding leads. And there's a very, very big difference between 2021 and 2022 revolution. And I don't think it's a talent difference. I-, I think it's just they aren't able to hold leads and they need to figure it out. And until they do that, my hand is going to be very, very close to the panic button.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. And just to emphasize that point too about the dropping points, you know, twenty-four drop points from the Revolution from winning positions. The, the second, the second worst team uh, is FC Dallas and FC Cincinnati, tied with fifteen points dropped from winning positions. That is a, a massive gap right there. And in, you know, part part of that is because the Revolution have put themselves in a winning position a lot of games this season. Um, but the inability to close out games is shocking. And you know, kind of look at the team last year. Um, they did very good in closing out tight games, and I think they did very good. In games where they, you know, fell behind and found their way to claw, claw their way back, but they just don't seem to have that ability this season. Um, and my takeaway, just kind of to blend it together, because we have a lot of questions, it fits right along with yours, and that's just that they don't have the composure. Um, defensively that they need to beat the top teams in the league. And you certainly saw that the past two weeks with, you know, the the, the penalty kick goals that they gave up, the red card they got against New York City FC, um, and then this game, the two errors you pointed out with Petrovic not, not getting the ball when he came out for a corner and then Kessler with a boneheaded foul um, that I'm sure we'll talk about more later. Uh, but there's a, a clear problem with the revolution this year and the inability to be composed. And, you know, when you talk about the panic button, I'm with you because, you know, it's with Petrovic being the exception, you know, he's a young, young goalkeeper, mistakes are going to be made. You know, the defense has largely been here. Um, you know, earlier in the season, we could write off a lot because Omar Gonzalez was making a lot of mistakes. But now everyone that's playing has been a part of this team for several years now. Kessler, Farrell, Jones, Bay, uh When John Bell steps in, he, you know, he played a lot of minutes last year too. So it's not like these are young guys that haven't, played for the revolution before and are just finding their footing Are guys that the revolution traded for that are just trying to fit into the system. Um, You know, we're well over halfway through the season. Most of these guys were here last year or, you know, many years beyond that. Um, so I think at this point you do have to be panicked. Where early on in the season you can write it off, Earlier on in the season you can say, "Well, Omar Gonzalez is causing us all these problems." Um, even though if you're really paying attention, the mistakes were, you know, yes, Omar Gonzalez was leading the mistakes, but mistakes were beyond just him. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And you know, my takeaway from this is just, you know, the composure is not there with his defense anymore uh, to win tight games against the top teams in the league, and they're going to need to do that if they do make the playoffs, because it seems more more likely than not they're, if they make the playoffs they're going to be. One of the lower seeds and gonna to have to actually win on the road against a team like New York City FC or against the Philadelphia Union. And based on what we've seen the past two weeks, you know, if, if the composure
1: is like it has been, it's not gonna happen. And and what's frustrating about this team, I was actually thinking about a comment we got last week. I forget who it was from, so I apologize to the listener who sent in this. But but the the question was, I feel like the individual parts of the defense is better than the unit as a whole. And the more I kind of thought about that after the podcast last week, I, I really feel that is a big part of the issue. Cause I think if you ask fans what they want, they say that we need a cent- central midfielder and we need a center back, not necessarily star players, but we need some depth there. Right. But I don't know. I mean, does that solve it? Cause for a long time we said, oh, Omar Gonzalez is mistake prone. We need to pull him out. We pulled him out. You know, Andrew Farrell made those errors last week in New York city. We talked about Andrew Farrell. He was gone. You know, now we have Henry Kessler making a, uh, a, uh, Pretty bad penalty, conceding a penalty late in the game. Uh, Petrovic, who has been great so far in his career, I'm very impressed with him making those mistakes. Um, You know, I I wonder, I think composure is a very good way to put it because it just seems like this is a team that the talent and the ability is there. I kind of said this last week where I think the variance on outcomes of this season for the revolution is wide ranging, where this could be a team that might be a serious cup contender or they could miss the playoffs. And I, I think it comes down to, are they going to be able to fix these mistakes? Because the difference between winning and losing is if you're making these mistakes that we saw last night. And one other point, uh, well, we're talking about the points drop stat, Sean. Just for context, in case people don't realize, we, we talk about 24 points dropped in games where the Reds have had a lead. The Reds have 25 points on the season. They've dropped half of their points, uh, you know, in, in some sort of way, you know. Um, I mean, that's 1.2 points per game. Uh, the Revs have played 20 games, and they've somehow found a way to lose leads and, and lose a potential 24 points. I mean, you get half of those points, you're in third place in the East. So the Revs need to figure out how to hold on to leads. They need to limit their mistakes. And I, I don't think it's really an ability or a talent issue. I think it's a mentality issue. I think it's a composure issue. Um, and and I, in, in some ways, I think when you have momentum going and everything's kind of gelling, I, I, this seems to be a team that just – they're not gelling and defensively, there's always something that just goes horrifically wrong time after time after time again. And there's only so many times you can excuse it until it's a trend, then you just kind of accept this is what they are.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's it's disappointing to see how the defense has been this year because it wasn't really the case last year. Um there were certainly some errors in the defense last year. I think if you were to pick a you know side of the ball that the Rebs are weak on, it was certainly defense. Um, but I do wonder if, you know, Veroni- Rony comes in and he can step right in and, you know, that's a big if, um, and their offense becomes that much stronger uh, if that takes some of the pressure off of the defense. Because I do think right now the offense is a little bit more predictable than it was when Adam Buxa was out there, um, which allows, you know, teams to take a little bit more risk going forward and, you know, take a little bit more risk defensively. Um, and then it puts that extra added pressure on the revs defense. Um, because, you know, still, I think this team is set up very well to cross the ball into strikers um, you know, even Gustavo Bo's goal in this game was off a cross, a low cross and a high cross. But I, I do wonder if when you have a target up there like Veroni, um, if that you know kind of changes things and takes a little bit of pressure off the defense. Uh, but you know, there's not that much time left in this season, and that's a lot of pressure on a guy that's coming in mid-season form, a young striker that's never played in MLS before. So um, I think it's you know perfectly makes sense that you'd be hitting the panic button at this point, or very close to hitting the panic button, uh, because you, you know you are running out of games um but I agree with you you know you thought Omar going out would maybe solve the defensive problems or help the defensive problems it didn't then it was Farrell with the errors now it's Kessler with the errors John Bell had errors earlier in the season um it's, you know everybody's contributed to the errors at least in the center back position uh so I don't know if one center back is going to solve that um I do think it wouldn't hurt the revs to add depth at center back or add another guy that could compete for a starting spot there I do think that's a need um but I don't know if that alone is going to fix the Revolution's problem. I think there's, you know, the the composure issue is something that um, you know, I would like to say that Bruce Arena should work on a training, but I I don't know how with, you know, guys that have the experience level of um, you know, even Henry Kessler at this point has played a lot of MLS games that this stuff keeps happening. It's 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 surprising. Again, Petrovic I can I can excuse that. He's a young goalkeeper in a new league um you know doing a phenomenal job with you know the exception of a couple of mistakes and i think that you know you expect him to get better with age but the rest of the team doesn't make a whole lot of sense
1: it's going to be an interesting. I, I've said this a few weeks ago that this July is going to be very telling on what this team is, and they've failed their first two tests of New York and Philadelphia. I'm very curious to see what happens next week in Columbus. Columbus is ahead of the Revs in the standings. They're, they're. I think right now they're playing Cincinnati, so we're not sure where they're going to end up in the the standings, but they're going to be the sixth or seventh team. They're in striking distance for the revolution. They haven't had the best season either. I believe Caleb Porter is coaching for his job. Um, It's going to be very interesting with another difficult road game if they can come away with a point. If they don't come away with a point next week, I think I'm hitting this panic button because, I mean, there's only so many losses on the road you can take where you just kind of accept that this is not the way it's going. And, And, yeah, the composure really needs to change. So, yeah. Agree with everything you said there, Sean.
0: Yeah, we got a lot of questions, so I do want to get to those quickly. But I do want to just quickly go over the lineup um, because, to me, with the exception of Farrell being out suspended, this this seemed to me like what's probably the Rev's first choice lineup, right? With the you know until until Veroni's available.
1: No, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I imagine that when uh, now, first off, I believe it's Veroni, right? Uh, I got. You're right. I had my, You're right. My... It is,
0: it is Veroni.
1: Brioni. Thank you. I have my pronunciation corrected. I, of co- I, now, it's it's going to be a few months before I get this down consistently, kind of like how we were calling uh, Carlos, Hill, Carlos Gil for two months. But Brioni, um, yeah, I, I think he's going to be coming in. Um, I imagine that they're either going to go with the two striker system or if they go with this 4 2 3 1, they'll push out Bo wide and have him kind of uh, overlap with Gil a little bit. And then Legette kind of moves to the midfield and they move Tommy McNamara. Uh, so I imagine they're either going to do that or they're going to go with a uh, back to the diamond with two strikers up top, heel in the middle, Barrero on the left, Leggett on the right, and Polster uh, as a defensive mid. Of course, as Bruce Arena would say, the formations don't really matter. They're going to move around whatever, you know, in any sort of way. So whether they they line up in a 4-2-3-1 or a diamond, um, I, I think that's what you can kind of expect. But yeah, this this for the most part is a revolution first choice lineup.
0: Yeah, so no no real injury excuses except... Ferrell being suspended. Um one thing that surprised me, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, was the fact that uh Captoom who started the last game, started the last couple games, actually didn't even make the game day squad. Did did do you read anything into that?
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised about that too, especially with Maciel coming in thirty minutes uh, with thirty minutes to go in this game. Uh I wonder if Captoom had a role to play in this game. I don't I didn't hear anything about an injury. Um, I'm not totally sure if this is an Adam Buxa scenario where he's being held out of the lineup kind of quietly and something is being arranged in the works in the background. I I don't know if he has a lot of value internationally or if something is being worked in the summer window where he goes back to Europe and plays over there, but the summer window is open. Um, and you know, him and Tristan, I think are two candidates for players who might, Move back uh, if the summer window is open and the Revs work out something with a team over there because I don't think that their tenure with the Revolution have really worked out great. Uh, so I-, I wouldn't be shocked if Captoom is moving over there. But um, eventually, I shouldn't say that's the reason he's held out of the game squad. That's that's total uh, speculation on my part. But uh, it is weird for him to go from starting to suddenly mysteriously missing.
0: Yeah, I, I was. That was kind of the one surprise for me with this lineup because, like, like we both said, I think that was the Rev's first choice eleven, um, given who was available. Um, it, uh, it
1: also, I mean, Sean, it also makes you wonder if when Vrioni comes in, does Captoom have a spot on this roster? I mean, uh, I, I guess Maciel, they might be trying to incorporate more long term. Captoom has had a run of a few, few games. I thought he's been fine, but nothing special. Maybe he's just out of chances with this team.
0: Well, and it seems like Tristan now has established himself more as a central-type player, too. So now they're kind of competing for the same minutes. Um, and I don't think there's a spot for both of them. I'm not sure there's a spot for either of them, to be honest, but I don't think there's a spot for both of them, certainly. So, you know, especially when you're, you know, given their salaries and given the international spot, um, if, you know, Bruce did find a way to offload cap to him, kind of save the cap space and open the international spot, wouldn't be a bad idea, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a spot for him long-term. I I, I tend to think there's not. Uh, uh-
1: I I do. One more thought to your two on Maciel. I wonder if they're going to try to get Maciel a little bit more time, one, to kind of shake up the lineup. But two, he had a team option last year. I assume he has a team option on his contract this year. This would be his. I believe he's he's been with the team for two years. so next year will be his third year. Um, I I wonder if they kind of want to get an extra look at Maciel kind of coming down the stretch to see if they want to renew his contract for next year because he does carry that international roster spot.
0: That that makes perfect sense too. I think I think all of those are logical thoughts. Um the other quick lineup notes, uh Tristesen replaced Polster at halftime. Do you think that was kind of planned because Polster's coming back from uh from you know being a lay, from being leg off for a while for the injury, or do you think that was more the fact that I, I personally I didn't think Polster had a good game?
1: You know, I, I think that might have been a little from column A, a little of column B. I think they might might not have expected him to go a full ninety minutes, but I thought it was odd he was coming he started and came out forty-five minutes in. Um, he numbers wise, he played fine. He was 37 for 39 passing. Uh, he had 42 touches in 45 minutes. Uh, he had three recoveries, uh, only, only one ground duel. He was 0 for one on ground duels, but, um, not super impactful, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it had to do with he's coming back slowly and they kind of wanted to get him, get him some reps. And I think that not being super impactful, uh, maybe it's a similar thing with Tristesen where they're kind of trying to mix things up and trying to put him in the midfield and seeing how he works with Tommy McNamara slash Maciel. He,
0: he did have a couple of, of uncharacteristic touches. I thought one uh, bad turnover where that then led to him committing a foul, um, uh, you know, led to a somewhat dangerous union free kick that uh, I think both the, the turnover was bad and then the foul wasn't necessary either. And then there was another play later where I think he was kind of dribbling out of the box and dribbled into traffic the, out of the Rose box and turned the ball over. So I, I didn't think it was his best half. Um, but I do think it's probably a combination of the fact that, you know, he's just coming back. They didn't want to play in the whole game anyways. Um, but I think the revolution need more out of him going forward if they are to be successful. Uh, one thing I should know, Barrera was subbed out in the 64th minute with an injury. We do. have an update there. Charlie said he was holding his quad. That's obviously worrying because he was subbed out injured a couple games though, too. Um, one thing I noticed or one thing they announced in the broadcast was Bruce was actually getting ready to put. Uh, Ryan Spaulding and Josie Alcidore on I don't know for who before Philadelphia had that equalizer um, to me the revolution were playing really well before that happened uh, so I, I didn't you know not knowing who they were going on for but I didn't didn't love the thought that they were going to kind of switch things up and you know, bring in an extra defender and put Alcidore on there what's your thought on kind of switching things up given at least in my view the Rose were playing pretty well at that point prior to the, the goalkeeping error.
1: Yeah, uh, Spalding is the really interesting choice because I don't know where you would put him other than for DeWan Jones. I don't think we've seen him on the left wing so far. I know he's played a little bit of left wing at revs too. So I think it's possible that maybe they want to kind of put him as kind of a winger with kind of some defensive instincts in front of DeWan Jones to hold the lead and kind of play conservatively. Um, I think the counter for that is, you know, what, what's Altador doing? You know, he's not exactly the most defensive player. So I don't know if they're both defensive subs. Um, I'm really curious to see where that would have gone or if they would have taken out to Juan Jones. I don't know why you would take out to Juan Jones, um, in any situation unless he's injured and he wasn't yesterday. So, uh, I, I do think it's interesting. And, and I know that he, Botang and Altador came on a few minutes later for Legette and McNamara. So, um, Altidore was coming on either way. It seems like, But I'm not totally sure. Yeah, I would have been very curious to see who he pulled off and how he kind of structured his defense. Because part of me thinks that with Barrero off, maybe they wanted another kind of player kind of on the left wing. And then once they gave up the lead, that changed from Ryan Spaulding to Botang. But I'm not totally sure what Bruce was going for there prior to the goals.
0: Yeah, my guess is that Spalding would have played defense and they put would have put Jones up to attack more or something. But it was a, I don't know, I, I, I'm i never a fan of kind of switching the formation or switching the tactics to go defensive when you're playing pretty well and have the lead. Uh, but it, we know Bruce has done that a few times this year. Um, and, that, and how have the results been? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. It has not worked out well. Um, just a quick note, Bruce did blame Petrovic and Kessler for the two errors on the goals. Um, he excused Petrovic as being a young keeper saying those things happen but Kessler he said should be better at this point, which I would agree with. Um, any thoughts on the fact that Bruce called these guys out publicly?
1: No, I, some people gave him some heat for this about throwing players onto the bus, but I would contrast that to the Bruce comments post-game last week where he kind of blamed the field. And he blamed the time of day. And I think we kind of felt those were weak excuses. Bruce also always says, you know, these aren't excuses. Both teams had to play with them, yada, yada, yada. But I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, uh, that coming out of a tough loss. He blamed them, you know, kind of external factors that really they knew about going in. Uh, so I, I don't mind him kind of telling it like it is and, and being honest and saying, yeah, these were two mistakes that they should have done better. And, you know, even the Petrovic as a young keeper thing, I don't want to excuse it too too much uh I mean it it was a pretty bad error on his his end but um yeah I I certainly don't mind him throwing Petrovic or Kessler under the bus because I think those players know that they made mistakes
0: yeah, I, for one, am just glad we, after a loss, didn't have to listen to people constantly complaining, both from within the team, without the team, about the referees, because I don't think there was any controversy whatsoever uh, on that penalty kick, or really in any of the plays in this game. could have been a yellow card here or there, but the refs did not decide the outcome of this game in, in any shape, way, shape, or form, so I'm, I'm glad we're not spending our time talking about that um with that said we'll we'll get to the stadium talk in a, in a bit i do want to jump into listener questions because we've got a ridiculous amount of them uh before we do i want to take a quick minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast glasho kits glasho kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home the passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to galoshokits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at Kits. Uh, One item that caught my eye today was there's a 2010 player-issued U.S. Women's National Team kit for former Boston Breaker Heather O'Reilly. So if that's something that interests you, check that out. And if you want something cheaper than that, there's also a pretty cool U.S. Men's National Team t-shirt for former Rev Clint Dempsey. So no shortage of cool stuff to check out at Galashio Kits. Save 15%. Using code revs recap. Uh, Greg, you ready for questions? Oh, I am ready. <laughs> There's a a lot of them. Uh, some overlap, but we'll try to get through everything. Uh, Mark on Twitter says things that shouldn't be issues are lack of focus in the center back two times. This position wasn't a problem. Uh, I assume wasn't a problem in the past. I don't know if I'd agree with that. Uh, Carly's here looking less stellar himself these past couple of weeks. The cohesion of the team seems off. Are we seeing the results of not having a real bench to draw from?
1: Mental fatigue. Any thoughts? Uh, probably probably some mental fatigue. It certainly seems like this team is a lot more frustrated and is showing their emotions on their sleeve a little bit more. And it really goes back all the way to that Charlotte game where Carlos is yelling at Bruce Tarina. I mean, it seems like the team has been very chippy this year, and the cohesion does seem off. I think we talked about that a little bit earlier. In the, in the show. Oh, and also we can talk about Josie Altador getting fined by the Rebs, um, which uh, David Goss said on his show that uh, Josie Altor had a meeting with uh, the coaches, and they seemed to sort things out. And he was told by the coaches that he's still in their plans. But he still received a fine for uh, apparently his actions at New York City FC, which we talked about uh, last week. But uh, overall, there there have seemed to been a, a lot more of these kind of little tiny things that have kind of been – Going wrong for the revolution that is just very uncharacteristic. So I, I think it might just be a mental fatigue and kind of pressure building on this team that had high expectations and now they're fighting for a playoff spot. I, I don't think the bench has a ton to really say. I mean, they have Botang, um I know Josie is not really working out, but, uh, you know, Tommy McNamara is going to move to the bench here in a minute. I feel like Tristan and Captoom and have had fine games at times. I think John Bell had a fine game yesterday as well. So I, I think there are some depth pieces that have been contributing. Um, I think it's more just the pressure is starting to get to this team and they really got to find a way to turn it around.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it does seem like mental fatigue is a factor, but at the same time, they haven't had a midweek game in a month. So it's not like there's fixture congestion anymore they, they got themselves knocked out of the open cup in the champions league pretty early to make sure they didn't have too much fixture congestion so uh, I don't I don't really feel too bad for them from that perspective but it does it does seem you know especially when you're talking about lack of composure from the center backs uh, that mental fatigue could play a role um, yeah I don't, I don't know uh, and to your point there's been some help off the bench but I do think that you know they, they could use more help, I think, when you look at that bench and try to come up with an offensive spark. Um, there's Boateng, and there's probably not that much else. Um, mm. And you mentioned Josie and getting fined, so that's a good segue to the next questions that we have. We have three questions about Josie that are kind of coming at it from all over the map on opinions here. Uh, G on Twitter says, throwing Josie out there in that game makes no sense. He's shown to be useless as a sub, and he's just here to collect a paycheck and complain um however our biggest issue is midfield and defense getting at least two center backs is crucial as well as another cdm bruce should know this uh mike kennedy wants to know our take on josie's performance and andy from revs nations has a positive look where he says i thought josie looked energetic and has limited minutes today that's been my biggest complaint with him so far thoughts on his game
1: yeah well i'll take uh andy and mike's question first i thought this was a better performance from josie than some other times um Going, You know, I, I feel like we've done this from time to time where we say, yeah, Josie looks better. Uh, he, he looks – he's got some pep in his step and he's kind of holding up the ball well and passing around. That's great. Um, but, you know, we'd like a goal. Uh, he kind of you – now it's a 10-minute performance, 10, 15-minute performance from Josie. So it's not a ton to take away from. But I, I don't really like him in this role completely. He doesn't have a ton of speed. Um he doesn't really add a ton as a super sub, it seems like, in this role. Uh, until he starts scoring a goal or, or making, it, you know, make, making a real impact, uh, I think this is just what we're going to get. So I, I thought that, yeah, in terms of energy, maybe the kumbaya meeting with the coaches kind of helped. I, I thought this was one of his better performances. He was six for seven on passing. He created a chance. He had nine touches in about 15 minutes. It was fine, but, you know, it... It was technically a better performance from Josie last night.
0: To me, the bar is so low for Josie that just solely based on the fact he had that nice cross to Boateng that led to um, what Boateng probably should have done better with, a good chance for the Revolution. That one play makes it probably his best performance for the Revolution in a very long time. Um, but the bar is very low. I think we need to see a lot more to get too positive on it. Um, you know, I, He contributed more than I expected based on just that one play. So uh, there's that. Um, <laughs> yeah. The
1: the bar is so low for Jer- for for Josie Altador with the Revs that not even Hermes Conrad could limbo under that bar. <laughs> Shout out to the three people that got that reference.
0: Yeah, Greg, Greg already made that joke in a, a private chat, and I think only one of one of the two people in it, which includes me, got it, and I did not get it. So I gotta apologize for that. For those that do understand it,
1: <laughs> someone will appreciate me, Sean. <laughs>
0: um on the the other comment about the getting at least two center backs is crucial as well as another cdm i think um if 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 i were to say i'd say getting another center back is important and getting you know defensive midfield depth would be good as well um i don't know know, greg anything to add to that
1: yeah uh i don't think two center backs is happening (laughs) i don't know i don't know about two center backs and we can kind of talk about that in a little bit we'll look at the roster uh but i do think that those are the two areas of need uh yeah, agree agree with those two areas, but I think at least two center backs might be a tough ask.
0: I mean, they've they've got five on the roster, so unless somebody's going off of it, um, that's that's a lot of center backs to carry. Uh,
1: you know, I'll cut to the chase right now. So so right now the roster is at twenty nine, and they have on the senior roster. There's nineteen of twenty spots filled, so there's a little bit more than just buying players with GAM. They're, they're going to have to send out some players. So if you buy a center back and a central, central defensive midfielder, you have to ship someone out and you're probably going to have to ship someone off of the senior roster. So it can't be Renex. It can't be Rivera. It can't be Earl Edwards Jr. Um, you know, maybe, you know, I, I don't know exactly who it would be, but it'd probably be someone of value unless you're able to ship off an Arnold Tristan or a Wilfred Kaptoum. Um, I don't think you're unloading, unloading Josie out the door. You know, maybe you're able to trade Brad Knighton somewhere or maybe you, you I don't know, Buy out the rest of Brad Knighton's contract and that that salary takes the hit, but you open up the roster space. Um, you know, if you're adding more than two players, you're going to have to say goodbye to someone. And there there's going to be some tough decisions if that's the case.
0: Yeah, and I think if if that does happen with the Captoom, I think we got to be realistic here that if Captoom is, you know, say going to a team in Europe, um, the Rebs probably aren't getting a transfer fee for him. It's probably a free transfer just to get him off the books, um, which I think would be a good thing for the Rebs at this point because they need that space, they need that international roster spot. But um, realistically, when I see people saying, "Oh, maybe the Rebs can sell these guys," I don't think they're going to be selling, you know, Captoom anywhere. I think if yeah. if they have an opportunity to offload them for free, um, that probably works out best for both parties and realistically that'd be the best situation
1: yeah there's a handful of guys like aj de la garza where if you can trade them for a fourth round draft pick you you know if you need the spot you do it at the stage but there's a handful of guys like josie de la garza omar gonzalez Captoom, uh Tristison, you know i don't think there's any value in a transfer fee or getting gam or anything like that so it might be a situation where the revs are going to have to look at someone like You know, Matt Polster, he's got a team option next year, but then his contract's done. If a team comes calling and asking for him and, you know, you get a pretty solid center back back, do you make that trade? Like it it might get to that level where someone of value on the senior roster might have to go in order to get what you need.
0: Well, and just I still think they're carrying too many goalkeepers on this roster between Mm -hmm. Earl Edwards, Brad Knight and uh, and Petrovic, and then. I'm gonna I'm gonna botch the the, the rookie's name that uh, Jacob Jackson Johnson. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll throw them all out there so we, we can't be wrong. Um, you know, four goalkeepers in the roster is a lot, and Brad Knighton is taking up a senior roster spot. So if the Revolution need a senior roster spot, um, you don't want to you know do something wrong by Brad Knighton. He's been a great servant of the team. You want to you know give him an opportunity to go somewhere that he wants to be if that works out. Um, but you know, I've mentioned before he's, he's from North Carolina. If, if Charlotte needs a backup goalkeeper or needs a, a veteran presence and you have an opportunity to kind of move him for a late round draft pick, just to open up a senior roster spot, because you're carrying four goalkeepers, you know, that's not the the worst option either at this point, uh, mm. in his career, I would say. So that, that's something that I think, you know, maybe the Revs look at if that, if that opportunity exists. And I do think that Brad Knighton's, you know, been such a good servant to the team that, you don't want to do something at this point in his career that you know he's not interested in. So, uh, only
1: if that works out for all parties. He also seems to be the third string. So I, I it, it sounds weird to say it like this, but you know, if you buy out a player mid-season, that money and, and potentially, you know, I believe an international roster spot count uh, or no, no, sorry, the salary counts against it. It would open up an international roster spot. It would open up a senior roster spot, but the salary still counts against the cap. Maybe there's a situation where Brad Knighton doesn't want to move, but he's, as I say, he's, he's not in the game day roster at this stage. Earl Edwards is, is getting the backup call. You know, If you need a roster spot, do you cut him a check and open up that roster spot? I mean, I, I think that might be a mechanism that they just go ahead, they take the hit to the salary cap, and just open up a spot for whoever they bring in. Because you're right, they don't need four goalkeepers on this roster right now.
0: No. And, and like you said, if he's not even the, the second choice, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be using a senior roster spot, um, you know, on a, on a third string goalkeeper. So uh, this one one thought and if they really need a roster spot,
1: not to drag it out, but it, it's really hard to see who you can trade at this stage. Because, as I say, there's a handful of people I named four or five that are probably just not movable within MLS. Right. Bo- are you moving Botang? Like that, that, that's what I mean. Like, would you move what a valuable bench piece and maybe you hope Rivera is able to kind of do what he does and, and in return for Bo Tang, you get some defensive help or some midfield help, like that kind of, that, that's a risky move, but I, I think they're going to have to roll the dice with something like that. So that's just an example of, you know, what might come down the line.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's why I focus on a night just because there aren't many good options and he's on a relatively low salary and is potentially movable if you had to, um, yes. or those other guys you named, you know, unless again, unless, um, you know, captain has an opportunity to go back to Europe or something and was willing to, to, you know, mutually terminate his contract and leave on a free. Um, yeah, I don't, there's not, I don't think he's tradable within the league. I don't think, you know, Tristan maybe, but probably not tradable within the league. Um, Josie and Omar definitely not tradable within the league given their, their salaries. So, um, just, just trying to be realistic with the options and that's why, Knighton,
1: given the situation, kind of makes some sense. He's also on a contract through the 2022 season. So, if there's a team, you know, um, Bill Hamid is out for the rest of the year, you know, could you toss in Knighton on a deal or something like that? I, I don't think D- DC's selling pieces. So, that's a kind of a bad example. But, you know, if someone needs a keeper or someone needs a backup keeper, you're right. It's a cheap, you know, expiring contract that I think a lot of teams might be interested in. Uh, but as I say, I, I think that removes a lot of the human element. Uh, right out of it, and you—you you certainly don't want to do Brad Knighton wrong. Yeah,
0: um, we have uh, a lot of questions about the Revolution's playoff chances and things like that. I'm going to read them quickly. Randy LH wants to know, what odds will you give that the Revs missed the playoffs this year? Obviously, roster-wise, we shouldn't, but nothing about our season that suggests that we can get past our defensive lapses and inability to finish games. I think we finished finish ninth, barring some sort of miracle, Randy says. Um, Nathan Whitcraft on Twitter says, if I were a betting man, I'd wager this is not a playoff team. More road games and home games left, and any Revs have not shown they can close out games uh locomotive cran flag fc says will we make the playoffs and why and why is the answer no and Traeger gerardi on twitter also says if the revs don't make any moves where do you think this team finishes the season so a lot of negative thoughts there and people that don't think that thinks there's a good chance the revs don't make a playoffs uh what do you think the odds are the Rebs miss the playoffs this year
1: i'm gonna go about To make the playoffs, I honestly am going to say it's more likely than not that they'll make the playoffs. I just think there's too many teams in front of them that we are just better than. I think we're better than Cincinnati. I think we're better than Charlotte. I think we're better than Miami. I, I just think we're better than all three of those teams. And those are the three teams you need to pass to get into the playoffs. Now, Atlanta's behind the Rebs. Somehow Chicago is two points behind the Revs right now. Uh, so in theory, those teams could could leapfrog the Revs. The but I'm looking ahead at the schedule. There are still some wins on this schedule. There are still some three point games on the schedule for the Revolution that really shouldn't even be in doubt. They're at home versus DC United. They're at home versus Chicago. They're at home versus the galaxy. That's a win. I know the galaxy are in seventh place right now in the West, but they're coming across the country. We should beat the galaxy at home. Um, they, they have a game against Montreal at home. That might be a win. That's not a sure thing though. They go on the road. They finish the season on the road in Chicago. Chicago's out of the playoff picture. I could see them not taking that game very well. Uh, they play at home against Atlanta United. Um, I, I, I make them the favorites in that one. So there are some games here that they should come away with a win. Um, so, uh, I, I, again, I think the talent is there. It's just the the focus and the inability to prevent mistakes that has really been their downfall. Uh, I think they're going to turn it around. I'm hopeful. I'm certainly in the glass half full kind of side of things. And I just think there are too many teams ahead of them that are going to fall down just naturally because they aren't that as good as the Revolution. So uh, I'm, I'm going to put this around 55% as of right now.
0: Yeah, and I hate to to just repeat what you said, but I kind of agree with that. I think this team is more probable than not to make the playoffs, but I also think in the the likely scenario, I think right now, if I was to look at this team, I think they'd be a low seed in the playoffs and lose in the first round, and it would be a very short postseason um, as the most likely outcome, and then Rioni could change things if he really steps up or if the defense figures it out. There's a lot of ways that this could go, Um, and I think any success the Revolution have relies on them being healthy uh, because overall this year they haven't been as healthy as they were last year. Um, you know, I talked about before, I think they were unusually healthy last year. And I think this year has kind of caught up to them a bit. Um, and having success in making the playoffs, I think relies on in them being relatively healthy the rest of the way or more healthy than they've been to start the season. But, um, I'm with, I think 55% right now is, is probably about where I'd put it to make the playoffs. Um, just just
1: b- before we get cursed revs though, I just want to say. I wouldn't be shocked if they miss the playoffs. I want to make that very clear, just so in three months when they miss the playoffs, I don't have like people tweeting at us about how dumb we are. I I, I think there's a real problem with this team. I mean, fifty-five percent is not great odds. <laughs> no, I, 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 I understand that. I, I want to make that clear to our listeners. Just I want to be I want to make that very clear to cursed revs that fifty-five percent is not great odds. I just want to be very very clear about that. Um, I I also think too while well, you're mentioning Rioni you know, if he comes in and doesn't perform right away and and getting to Traeger's questions, if they don't make any moves, I I think I might lean 55. No, 55%. No, I I think I'm under the assumption they're going to make a move and they're going to improve this team. And I think they they know they got to shake it up a little bit. So if they don't make any moves, this is a pretty flawed team in my opinion, and I'm a lot less confident in them. So I I just want to throw it out there. And and before we move on, Sean, I'm going to, kind of spice it up here and ask you a question do you think there is any chance before the window shuts the revs they look at you know Barrero, they look at petrovic they look at brioni and they say maybe we rebuild for 2023 kind of build with this new core do you think there's any chance maybe they become a bit of a selling team and kind of add assets for next season
0: i don't think so i think bruce arena is too late in his career to kind of punt on a season and call it a, a rebuilding season. Um, and I think he committed too much to guys that are past their prime and on the way down, um, which includes Gustavo Bowe, um, you know, as well as Josie Altidore and, and Omar Gonzalez that are here for, you know, I guess another season as well. But I think he committed too much to the season to, to do that. Um, so I would be surprised if that was the move they made, but I, I agree with your earlier comments you that if they don't add anybody else and um, Rioni doesn't hit the ground running, then, you know, I would lean more, more, more likely that they don't make the playoffs. But I'm, I'm expecting. I mean, even not necessarily hit the ground running, but hit the ground at, with you know some level of success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I do think, I, I do think we'll see the best of Rioni next year, not this year. But it, even if he can come in and give you, I don't know, six goals, uh, maybe five goals, even you know in the games that are remaining, um, that should be enough. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Trigger you does. Uh, on top of that point, what realistic moves do you think the Revs could make in the next few weeks? We talked about that a little bit, um, but realistically, what what types of moves do you think we might see the Revs make?
1: Uh, well, right now they're they're at eight international roster spots, so maybe if captoom or Tristeson arranges uh, a move back to Europe and the Revs kind of release, you know, let him go for free. Um, maybe they're able to get bring in an international player, but I'm not expecting that. So I, I would imagine Bruce is going to be working kind of the trade market, kind of what we saw the first sum, couple of transfer windows, summer transfer windows we saw with him, uh, where he brought he brought in Tommy McNamara for Wilfred Zahibo. I believe he, got, he traded like a draft pick for Kakuta Mene. Um, I could certainly see him moving some assets uh, within MLS. Maybe a player or two goes out, uh, and, and as I say, I expect them to bring in a central midfielder, probably a defensive-minded central midfielder similar to Polster because we don't really know. Uh, you know, Polster went 45 minutes. I, I'm sure he's getting right on, on the right track again. But, um, you know, I, I I think we need some depth there. I'm not completely impressed with Maciel, and I think that area needs to be a little bit strengthened more, especially, um, you know, if Polster is playing, and Legette, you need him on the wing, maybe someone to pair with Polster instead of Tommy McNamara because I, th- I like Tommy McNamara off the bench a little bit. So I, I certainly think they're bringing in a – central midfielder uh, and I expect them to bring in a center back whether or not it's a depth center back or whether or not it is a uh, kind of more top of the line player Um, and I you know DC I know just sold Julian Gressel for a ton of gam I could see the Ravs calling around to the weaker teams in the league that don't really have any playoff ambitions and saying we have some gam from all these players we sold how much do you need for either a midfielder or a center back. So so I would look for a, maybe a game deal and then maybe a one-for-one one player deal.
0: Yeah, I think I think their best chance at this point or their most likely moves are bringing in, you know, somebody from within the league and, and some sort of minor trade um, to add depth. But, you know, anything could change if they find an opportunity to move on from one of their international players, um, which wouldn't shock me um we've got again i think it's becoming a weekly thing now the the bruce out crowd so i'll read those tweets quickly and get your reaction uh evan ream on twitter says after tonight's tonight's match i'm done with bruce as a manager his ass needs to be fired tonight and you still need a cdm and, and center back great job bruce you failed this again macho on twitter says not a question a statement fire bruce now uh greg seems a bit too soon for that what, what are your thoughts
1: Yeah, it's frustrating. This has certainly been Bruce's worst season by far. Um, The, the, not just the regular season too, but I think the CCL is always going to leave a sour taste in people's mouth until Bruce wins something again. So I get it. Um, But with that being said, he won manager of the year last year. He won supporter shield last year. If you look at 2019, he took over a team that was in the dumps. He ended up making the playoffs 2020, not a great season, but I think his playoff run kind of salvaged it. 2021, obviously a great season. If you're grading Bruce's seasons itself, Bruce gets, I don't know, probably an A for 2019, probably a C for 2020, an A for 2021. Um, you know, those are good grades overall, even if you're giving him an F this year. So I don't think one season is really going to define Bruce overall. I, I think he's got some leash. Um, and that's just my opinion. Robert Kraft certainly, uh, I think, gives him more leash than you and I do, Sean. So um, I would imagine he gets another season with the Revs. Um, And and a good comparison here is Columbus. You know, Caleb Porter was on the hot seat earlier this year, and they've kind of made their way back into the playoff picture. Uh, But they won MLS Cup in that Mickey Mouse COVID year. Uh, in 2020, they missed the playoffs last year. They started to miss the playoffs this year and that seat was getting very, very warm. So I think it's reasonable to maybe put Bruce on the hot seat if we miss the playoffs this year and then we don't see any progress next year, but he's just brought in a new young core and Petrovic, Barrero, Vrioni. Um, he's got a lot of sway in that office, you know, an is a Bruce guy, Richie Williams is a Bruce guy. Dave Vandenberg is a Bruce guy. Chalry Joseph was brought in by Bruce arena. Um, there's there's enough people there that if Bruce left uh, a handful of people will go out with him. So it wouldn't really be a coaching change. It would be a regime change. So uh, I, I think there's a lot more leash, uh, on this one than fans on Twitter would like. Uh, so yeah, the Bruce experiment, I can't imagine him being fired in 2022.
0: I mean, I honestly don't think Bruce leaves the Revs until he wants to retire, um, barring something catastrophic. So I, I'm with you. I I, <laughs> I get the frustration, but uh, realistically, they lost Buxa, they lost Buchanan, they lost Matt Turner this year. They got rid of, you know, all those guys are gone, and those are three of the best players in this team. Um, it was going to be a difficult year, I think, with that, even keeping Carly's heel. Um, and Bruce has done a good job of bringing in Petrovic, who so far looks really good, minus a couple of bad errors uh, but overall looks like one of the best shot stoppers in the league already Um, Dylan Barrero who looks like a good you know potential long-term replacement for Tejan Buchanan and Vrioni we haven't even seen yet so I think there's the leash is long and you look at you know kind of look at this roster construction a lot of these guys are locked up for at least another couple years um Carly's heel I know he's got at least another couple years um Vrioni is here I think for four years three three years with a team option I believe for a fourth year um so Really, this is Bruce roster. Bruce's roster. If you if you were to change coaches, you know they're stuck basically with the same roster. The DP spots are full. Um, it would be very hard to move on for Bruce, and I think it would be a mistake. I think he's got a long leash. And yes, the season is very disappointing, but it, this season, barring something catastrophic, is, is not going to get him fired. Um, uh, two,
1: two more things before we move on. I just want to say that the Revs are probably going to lose again at some point in the near future. And I feel like our answer isn't going to change after that loss. No. So I think we'll, this will be our last Bruce out question for a while. Uh, but just cause I, I feel like we've had this question before and we've kind of gone through this again, but I, I do want to just reiterate, this is Bruce's worst coaching job by far for the revs. And you know, I, I think he gets the rest of the season, maybe similar to 2020, he redeems himself a little bit and maybe we kind of catch fire kind of going into the postseason but i i i want to make it very clear again that bruce isn't being fired and this has been a very bad coaching job uh from bruce this season um those are are representative of at least my opinion i don't know if you agree with those two statements sean but uh, i can't be be emphasized enough that this has been a, a very bad year for bruce arena
0: yeah, I, I agree with all that. And I just think Bruce Arena is also at the point in his career where he's probably reevaluating his own decisions at the end of every year. And, you know, I'd be less surprised if he were to decide to retire after the season. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'd be less surprised by that than if he was to be forced out. Um, so I think that's the only way he, he moves on or rather Rose move on is if Bruce Arena decides that, you know, he's finally ready to, to call it a day. Yeah. Um, this kind of question goes. This next question kind of goes back to a question we had earlier, but it's a little bit different. Uh, Charles Maddox on Twitter asks: Are we losing our grip? And in the worst time, right before we have a five-game month in August, do you think we are tired? We had asked about mental fatigue before, but I think this is more of a physical fatigue question.
1: You got of hit. You kind of hit it. We don't really have any midweek games, so I don't really think it's physical tiredness. Um, I think it's more of a mental thing. So I don't. I don't want to repeat too too much. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think it's a physical tiredness. I, I think there's something mentally wrong and a lot of just pressure building on this team.
0: Yeah, the schedule hasn't been bad enough to be physically tired. But I will say they did look tired by the end of this last game. And, I mean, you you were there, Greg. Was it was it really hot? Was it a, a bad conditions? I mean, it probably was, right?
1: <sighs> I mean, Bruce didn't complain about them after the game, so they weren't bad.
0: Yeah, I, I, I do think the team has looked a little bit tired towards the end of some game. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's because of fixture congestion and, but, and, and I would hope that it's not a fitness
1: thing at this point, but um, yeah. <laughs> we, Do they need to bring back Brad Friedel to get this team into shape? That's the real question. <laughs> I am
0: going to just pass over that one. Next question. <laughs> um, we got a bunch of questions about the center backs um i'm gonna kind of lump these together you might want to break them apart but i'll I'll lump them together at first uh porter on twitter says with kessler losing his cool and farrell's bad decision making is bell the new ace center back how do you see the center back depth uh mike kennedy asked would you reward bell with another start after this performance diehard lowell spinners fan says why dear god why actual um actually though Kessler was had been too reckless to be has Kessler been considered too reckless to be a starting center back ignoring the fact we don't have a better option Um, so we have all those center back questions which seem to be pretty negative on just about all the revs options other than perhaps uh, John Bell so any thoughts on that and and how do you see the rev center back depth and should Bell get more starts
1: I don't know Uh, it's kind of a Really weird scenario where I've gone back and forth on what exactly the answer is that I don't really know what the best center back pairing or best center back is. I do want to see more John Bell. I know he had a rough start to the season. I thought he played great last night. And I think similar to my comment about Masiel, you probably have another player option on John Bell. And you should figure out if you want him to be a part of this team in the future, as a kind of backup depth player, or if you're going to move on and kind of open up a supplemental roster spot, uh, with, with especially now that you have Ben Ravino also there too, I, I think Bell is above Ravino. But you know, um, I think Bell deserves another start at some point. I don't know if it's next week on the road in Columbus or if it's at home versus Toronto. Um, but I, I thought the Kessler Bell pairing worked out pretty well. I would like to see it again. Um, and, and as I say, I, I in terms of who, where, what's the depth chart right now, I really don't have any idea. I mean, has Andrew Farrell played himself out of a spot after the New York City FC game? I don't think so. I think Bruce has a lot of faith in that that Kessler-Farrell pairing. He's called Kessler the best defender on the team before, and I think he really values Farrell's leadership. So I think right now, I I think they're going to stick with that pairing. But I think the last few times we've seen John Bell... Um, he's done very well when his number has been called so I'm really not sure what the uh, depth chart is Sean do you, you you give me your depth chart
0: I think Farrell and Kessler are still the stars in Bruce's mind and I think they're still the stars in my mind too um yes they've made mistakes recently but you know they were solid last year when they had a good run together um, you know injuries have kept guys in and out of the lineup this year. Farrell's been hurt, Kessler's been hurt. You know, they haven't had a good run. I don't want to make excuses for them. It's not excusable what Kessler did in this last game. Uh but I do still think those are still your two starters. I think the fact that Bell started this game tells me that he's third in Bruce's mind. He's third in my mind as well. And I think the fact that Ravino wasn't part of the squad and Gonzalez was on the bench means that Gonzalez is probably still your fourth choice and Ravino's your fifth choice. Um so yeah, there were bad mistakes in this game. Yes, John Bell played, you know, pretty well. I think he was the better of the two center Although he had some sloppy passes too. Um, so, I don't know. No, nothing's changed for me despite the fact that Kessler had a bad game this week and Farrell had a bad game last week. I think John Bell had a bad game last week too. Um, so, one one good game from him doesn't really change my view yet. Uh, and no, I wouldn't reward him. I'd go right back to, to Farrell and Kessler. But I think Bell you know, certainly has earned being the third choice and anytime somebody's out, you get minutes and anytime the Re- revolution play, you know, multiple games in a week. Um, I think they need to do a better job of rotating than Bruce has done in the past with the center backs and bell should play. So uh, I guess that's kind of the cop out to say nothing's changed, but uh, that's, that's my honest opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything you said, we do have some questions about uh, Arnold Tristesen, um Andy from Revs Nation said he liked what he saw from Tristesen, but it seemed like his last touch was always just slightly off. Um, and then Porter on Twitter wants to know, would you rank Tristesen above Mac for center mid-depth, and did he earn the start?
1: Uh, did did Tristesen really have that big of an impact on this game last night? I, I, I don't know. I wasn't overly impressed with Tristesen. I don't think the central midfield depth chart moved too much. And I think in the end, Luget is going to be moving back and taking McNamara's spot regardless. So in my mind, I I, I still would put T-Mac above Tristesen. Um But Tristesen, I, I mean, we've we've seen some good moments from them uh, overall. So it, it's a little bit indecisive. I think it's neck and neck, but I think I'd still rather go with McNamara.
0: I mean, I thought the game was better in the second half when Tristesen came in for poster. Um, other than those two errors, I thought the rest played better with Tristesen out there. But I, I also, in saying that, I still don't think Post. I mean, uh, Tristesen had that amazing of a game he he's had a couple of moments but um overall you know 70% passing accuracy which was just about the worst on the team um i don't think he even had all that many touches uh and it's yeah 17 touches as a central midfielder is pretty low even for 45 minutes so um you know i don't i don't think he anything really changed i thought he was you know decent but i don't think anything changed i i agree with you i think you know McNamara has kind of shown more in his time here to earn those minutes over Christensen, but um I don't know nothing's changed in my mind on that one
1: also uh before we move on just want to once again congratulate Tommy McNamara on his contract extension with Sean ignored two weeks ago
0: <laughs> my bad guys but <laughs> I do I do think I do think Tommy McNamara is probably still the the starter until we see a switch where like like Greg said Leget potentially moves back to that spot although I don't think the jet um i don't know we'll see what the we'll see what the lineup i don't want to dig too deep into that but we'll see what the lineup happens but i do think that you lose something defensively when you swap the jeff for Mm t-mac and i think that could come back to bite the revs if that is what happens uh sandra lawson doesn't really have any questions all i know is the game is more exciting and we look more threatening when boateng is in in an ideal world maybe he'd be a super sub in the real world i want to see him on the field before tristison or Altador, um she also says is useless um I agree with that. I th- I would have liked to seen Boateng come into this game sooner. I think he's, you know, kind of the one guy on the bench that does kind of change the game when he comes in.
1: Agree. And actually I think our next question too talks about uh Boateng. Why isn't he getting more minutes? Uh why yes. isn't Botang getting more minutes? Let's let's hop right into that one too. Let's combine these questions. I want to get the point. To
0: talk. <laughs> Yeah, Emily um, on Twitter wants to know why he's not getting more minutes. <laughs>
1: Well, he's being used really as a, we're down and we need a goal. And I think he plays that that really well. There have been some times he's kind of played 90 minutes and he doesn't have the same impact as uh, an impactful sub. I-, I will say, if I was Bruce Arena, instead of maybe going defensive, when you're taking off Barrero, maybe you put in Botang for 30 minutes and maybe you still kind of create pressure on the opposite end of the field. I know Bruce Arena likes to kind of pack it in and go defensive, but in my mind, if you're taking off Barrero and going to Botang for the last 25, 30 minutes, I think Botang can go that length of time. So I understand why Botang doesn't go a full 90, but maybe getting him in the game earlier, 25, 30-minute shifts, I think that's the sweet spot for him.
0: I completely agree. It couldn't have said it better. When I see Bruce making those subs that are more defensive, you know— it gets back to my takeaway about the lack of composure and I'd rather see the revolution stay on the attack because when they are inviting pressure on the defense, even when they have numbers back there, that's when mistakes happen. So, um, I would have liked to seen Boateng come in sooner. I would have, when Barrero went out hurt, I would have liked to seen Boateng go on there. Um, and really quickly Porter on Twitter wanted to know, does it worry you that Barrero can't stay healthy for 90 minutes? Uh,
1: until he has a serious injury, I'm going to say no, but I I don't remember him ever, ever reading about any injury history in Brazil. Um, I believe this is a minor injury, um, although we've not heard an official word yet. I'm sure we'll hear about that from the midweek press conference. Um, I, I'm not super worried about it just yet. Um, and I also kind of wonder if Bruce is pulling him because he is young and new and wanted to kind of shift to a little bit more defensively as well. So I'm not I'm not hitting the panic button on that.
0: I mean, I don't love that a guy that's 20 years old has you know, two of the last three games gone out injured. Um, I'm not hitting the panic button yet either, but it is starting to be a a tiny bit concerning if it happens a few more times then i will be a little bit worried because he is a pretty young guy for it to have that happen but with that said the way he plays you know taking guys on you're you're more prone to get injured that way and it's just kind of a a risk of the the way he plays but um you know we'll see what the deal is with this injury but muscle injuries for a guy his age i don't love um so sandra lost on twitter had a few more quick uh comments Kessler foul was stupid and unnecessary uh, I think we both agree with that right <laughs> nothing to add yes. there uh Petrovic screwed up but I don't want to go too hard in him I think we also both agree on that and Bruce Serena basically agreed on that mm-hmm. um, last year it seemed like we always believed we could win win down this year we're ready to fold also I'd say we agree with that good observation right <laughs> yes
1: yes yes great comment Sandra <laughs> uh
0: on that note Eric on Twitter says definitely feels like we're our own worst enemy right now also a good observation Yes, great comment, Eric. Uh Og on Twitter says, Why must we suffer? I think that's because you chose to be a Revs fan, right?
1: Yes. Great great question, Og. I ask myself that all the time.
0: <laughs> all right. Here we go. Finally on to the stadium talk. Uh, Davis villain wants to know hypothetically any stadium built won't be until after the world cup. Am I correct in my assessment? Uh, and just in general, James Downing wants to know all of our Everett thoughts and just really quickly, we should give the background in case you were burying your head in the sand this week. Um, The Boston Globe put out an article that said without a floor debate or public input, lawmakers added language to a wide ranging multi billion dollar economic developmental bill Thursday evening that exempts a 43 acre industrial property. Uh, straddling the Everett and Boston line from a slew of environmental requirements so it could be developed as a sports, recreation, or event center. And two people briefed on the legislation said the amendment is designed in craft pursuit of a soccer stadium after more than a decade of searching. I think it's more like two decades at this point, uh, but repeatedly failing to secure a new home for the revolution in or around Boston. Uh, Greg, what are your initial thoughts and anything about David's thought that the timeline of getting it done before the World Cup isn't going to happen?
1: Well, I'll get to David's question at the end, but I, Sean, how long have we been doing this podcast? Uh, You and I are just you. Well, well, I guess it's a, a, you specifically you and I.
0: I don't even know at this point. It's been five years. It's a long time. It's a long time.
1: (laughs) It's a hypothetical question, but, but whenever stadium rumors come up, we always kind of say the same thing, right? We're not going to believe this until substantial progress is made and there's shovels in the ground And we've really dismissed everything that has kind of come up, correct? Yes. Okay, great. Rightfully so. (laughs) Right. I'm not dismissing this. I think that this article from the Boston Globe is the most significant story related to a soccer-specific stadium since I have been covering the Rebs, which goes back to 2014. Sean, you have been covering the Rebs forever. And and I don't know where this ranks for you, but I imagine it's somewhere near the top. Is this number one for you?
0: This is is number one for me, too. Yep.
1: So let me I've done this speech before. I want to tell you what needs to fall into place for the Revs to get a soccer specific stadium. If you think about where the Revs play right now, Robert Kraft has a rent free stadium. He's not getting any public financing. So in order for him to buy a soccer specific stadium or to build one, he needs some sort of incentive to buy. That kind of means that he's not, he doesn't want to just build a soccer-specific stadium. He, it's a real estate play. He's going to want some sort of mixed-use or retail or residential or lifestyle center, something along those lines. Patriot Place North. He wants Patriot Place in Boston. It's not just a, a field where, where people can play. He want, it's a real estate play for him. So you need a, the right size of land. Ten acres can fit a soccer stadium, right? Okay, well, he's going to want more than that, so you're going to need a lot more than ten or fifteen acres. He's going to want location. He's not going to build across the street in Foxborough. He could build. He has land in Foxborough to build right now if he wants. I know there was a story about, you know, a Ford dealership being bought on Route One. Maybe, maybe Kraft is going to buy it and build a soccer stadium. He's <laughs> not going to build. In, he's not going to build in Foxborough because it's a real estate play. And why would he build a competing arena down the street? So he wants a a. Boston location for the real estate value. There are a number of hurdles involved in that. One, there's a scarcity of land. Two, you need a pretty solid location. And three, there's a ton of zoning and environmental restrictions involved. So what this story tells us is, one, the zoning and environmental regulations, which sometimes is like Building heights, uh, open space requirements. You know, if you have 40 acres, a certain acreage needs to be left open. Uh, wetland requirements if it's near water, which is the case here. It seems like this is all exempt for this this land, which right now is some sort of station. I don't know. But it's, it's going to be taken down in, in mid-2024. It's 43 acres. It's in Everett. It's across the street from the Encore Boston Harbor Casino, And Encore has already revealed plans to open up, a, I believe, a 1,700-seat arena across the street at Encore. So if you're looking at this as Robert Kraft, the zoning and the kind of political thing has kind of been checked off. It still needs to pass the Senate, and it needs to be approved by the governor. But this is in an emergency uh, spending bill, I believe. So this is essentially just pork barreling where someone clipped on an amendment to a bill that's obviously going to pass. Um, and so, so that's a major check. It's near a casino check. I mean, if, if sports gambling is ever going to be legalized, being near a casino is going to be a plus. Uh, and you have a mayor who's really, really, really heavily trying to develop Everett as an up and coming city that is somewhat near Boston. This checks off pretty much all the boxes. And the fact that you have two sources telling the Boston Globe, that this is specifically for Robert Kraft and a soccer-specific stadium. That is smoke, and where there is smoke, there is fire. So I don't know about the ownership or what kind of deal is being involved, you know, what the ownership and, uh, you know, what kind of, of deal is being created here, but it's certainly very, very possible that Wynn is going to help purchase the land with Kraft or, you know, some sort of development deal with Kraft where... They build a soccer-specific stadium, and he gets a certain percentage of the development around the stadium or something like that. But it, it seems like Kraft is working with Win, and he's working with the local politicians, where this is a real possibility. Um, to the point, if – if Cursed if, Revs, I'm sure, is listening at this point, but I want him listening to this next point. If you were to ask me where we are on the football field, I would say we're about midfield right now uh, in, in terms of this being – a real thing. And I also think Robert Kraft knows he's running out of locations. So um, most people dismiss all stadium talk. Do not dismiss this. John, anything to add?
0: You know, you summed it up quite nicely. I I think you know people that have listened to the podcast and listened to me over the years know I'm one of the most skeptical people about Rev's stadium rumors. Um, and there's been a lot of really crappy ones over the years, ranging from the mayor of Fall River trying to say the Rev should play there, uh, to the one you know you mentioned about somebody claiming Robin Ford was selling their dealership and Kraft could build the stadium there. Um there's a lot of crap out there. This is actually there's something to this one. Um this is the first one. In a very, very long time, and the furthest along one ever, I think, um, or at least the most exciting ever, as far as you know where this is at, um, to come through. And there, there's something to this, and it's something worth monitoring very closely. Um, there's still a ways to go. I'm still not gonna you know be overly excited or be too hopeful until um, a lot more progress has been seen. Uh, but and you know jumping ahead to kind of David's question, even the fact that the Boston got you know, the World Cup is hosting some World Cup games at Gillette. Um, a lot of people didn't think that was going to happen. So it also wouldn't be surprising to me if this was part of the reason it's happening is that, um, you know, behind closed doors, Bob Kraft was telling him, hey, you know, this is going to help us. You know, we're about to open up a stadium in Boston. or We're very close to opening up a stadium in Boston. Give us a World Cup game. It's going to be extremely good for the Boston market. Um, and I do think that it's theoretically possible that the stadium could open up the same year as the World Cup Or maybe right afterwards, and that would be kind of a huge selling point is, you know, hey, here's the World Cup. You're going to these games at Gillette. Soccer is such a great sport. Also, we have a team in Boston now with this great stadium. Go watch that. It's a great opportunity to build on soccer momentum. So um, putting two and two together, that would not surprise me at all if the the fact that there's some progress being made with the stadium, and this may be further along than we even know. was part of the reason that, you know, Boston ended up winning out for a World Cup World Cup game is when people didn't think that was going to happen. Um, I I think there's something to this. Again, I'm not getting my hopes up too much. There's still a lot that could go wrong. Um, There's still a long way away from from this being a reality. But there is something to this one that we haven't seen with any of the other rumors really ever. Um, so that is certainly something to pay attention to, and this is you know the first one that I wanted to spend some time talking about because there, there's some legitimacy to this, uh, and it's it's very exciting. And is is Everett you know as ideal as downtown Boston? No, but realistically. Where were the Revs going to ever be able to build a stadium in downtown Boston? And some of the, you know, options that were thrown out there that were, you know, might have been in Boston weren't as good as this or, you know, were just as far out from the actual downtown as this is. Um, And this is, you know, really right over the border from Charleston to Everett. Um, You couldn't couldn't be closer to Boston without being in Boston.
1: And I also think it's significant that this is on a river, um, you know. The game we went to last night, Chester, is a terrible location for a stadium. But if you actually go to the stadium, oh, it's nice. It's on a river. It adds a little bit of character to the building. So, you know, I don't know if the stadium is going to be on the river or maybe they develop condos or something along, you know, next to it or something. But I think the fact that it's on the river and it can be redeveloped, this is more valuable than, you know – just a, a 10 acre piece of property in the middle of Boston or in the middle of wherever. Um, I, I think that there is a lot of potential with this site. I think the next hurdle is that if you're Robert Kraft, you're going to need some promises that some infrastructure to this site is, you know, developed, but they could, you know, you know, add a T stop or something like that. Uh, I, I'm sure that, as I say, the politicians seem to be in on this. I shouldn't say they, they're they in on it, but, it seems like this has been moved along a little bit and there is a master plan here. And it seems like to me that this is a, if you build it, they will come scenario. So um, I, I, I think that there's something here as you're, you're right, Sean, uh, it's not a definite, but this is probably the most promising thing I've ever seen in terms of a, a soccer specific stadium. Uh, one thing about Dan, uh, uh, David's question is there is something in the globe article that says the exemption for uh, the environmental and the zoning, uh, the exemption will be, in fact, only if the facility is permitted for construction within three years. Now, I don't understand if that is three years from when this bill is passed, or if that just means construction needs to start and end within three years. Um, I think those are two very different timelines, because if the construction needs to be built, it's obviously going to be completed before uh, the World Cup. But the facility right there is is being used until mid 2024. So my assumption would be that in 2024, the ownership of this property would be moved over to Kraft, And then the construction on the stadium would start probably around the time the, the, the world cup is wrapping up, which I think would be a pretty ideal time to kind of use the momentum of the world cup to then kind of transition into a brand new stadium. Uh, Cause I, I do think that interest in this country, I don't want to say peaks, but there's certainly a rise in soccer every time there's a World Cup. And I think that when the United States are hosting a World Cup, uh, I, I think a lot of casual fans are, are going to be interested. And if they hear about a giant stadium uh, in Everett that is right on the river opening, uh, I, I think that's going to get a lot of attention. So my guess is the timing of this is it's going to be slightly after the World Cup, whether that's late 2026 or to start off the 2027 season. Um, that, that's my guess on what the timeline is here.
0: Yeah, and and Bob Kraft was a part of the start of MLS. He, you know, MLS used the '94 World Cup, which was hosted in the U.S. and and Foxborough was part of it as kind of a launching pad to build momentum to the the launch of MLS. Kraft is well aware of what hosting a World Cup can do, and I think if there's an opportunity to get this done, and I honestly think I put some pressure on him to get it done faster. Um, if there's an opportunity to get this done in the same year the World Cup is here, you got to do it, and that's something that could build a lot of momentum and be huge for for soccer in Boston um there's no question that you know soccer interest peaks around the world cup and to be able to kind of use that as a launching point would be huge and if there's a way to get it done i think that's what they do um but again a long way to go and this is something that greg and i will be monitoring and i'm sure we'll be talking about again if anything else happens but uh very exciting news and you know we're both skeptics generally and i think the fact that we both think this is something means it's probably something
1: and and as i say just to repeat the fact that they're on the record sources saying that this is specifically aimed at craft and a soccer-specific stadium, this all seems very, very intentional.
0: Yes, um, I'm going to jump. I have some other questions, but I'm going to jump to the one at the end because I think this is, you know, I think there's some tie in here. Uh, what now? Really on Twitter says, how do we get one of the new NWSL franchises in New England? Um, I think a soccer stadium would help, right, Greg?
1: <laughs> yes, uh, I will say this is another hot take. Um, I see a lot of people saying, bring back the breakers and all that. Uh, If I was NWSL, Boston would be not necessarily at the bottom of the list, but near the bottom. They had a franchise and it folded, not relocated. Uh, The team just wasn't supported. Uh, So uh, if I was NWSL, I think I would look into some other markets that might be – soccer might be popping off a little bit more uh, than Boston. Um, But overall, franchise fees for NWSL, I was looking it up the other day. It's like three to five million or five to ten million. I mean, it's it's not in the eight-digit range. Um, I think the Washington Spirit sold for thirty-five million, and that was seen as a massive overpay because there was kind of some fighting in between uh, co-owners. So I, I don't think an NWSL team is a massive hurdle for someone like Robert Kraft, whereas he if he's opening up a soccer-specific stadium in Everett, uh, and he has a, a beautiful new stadium, and you know the Revs only fill it. 20 to 25 dates in a year and he needs a a, a, something else to kind of fill dates at that stadium an nwsl team would look pretty nice there so um i i don't think that nwsl would be very interested in coming back to new england or boston unless maybe there is something like that where there is a new soccer stadium and robert Kraft is suddenly interested in paying a franchise fee to get another team
0: yeah, I think that's how it comes back if it does, and I think that'd be a great thing for Robert Kraft to do if they did get a stadium, um, is add an NWSL team to it. Right now, there's not a lot of great locations for an NWSL team to play in Boston. Um, you know, we saw the Breakers move all around trying to find a good home, uh, but you know, I, I think given the Breakers' failure, that we're not going to see that anytime soon. But the the best path to it, I think, is building a soccer stadium in Boston for the Revs and adding an NWSL team to play there as well. Um, we've got a couple of questions that are not <laughs> revs related. Oh, I think we'll finish with those. Um, Alex Dolan from the Bent Musket wants to know, is the dupe song the best in stadium goal song the league has ever seen? I think it's neck and neck with the old O Dynamo song.
1: Uh, Well, it was the worst uh, song last night, I would say. I uh, certainly did not like that song last night. Uh, I will say, too, this old old Dynamo song uh, is not to be confused with the uh, Houston Dynamo uh, Mike Jones rap, uh, which was played a lot uh, between 2007 to 2011 at the Bryant University campus, uh, specifically in Townhouse before uh, our senior year. But... Uh no uh I I guess so it's certainly one of the more recognizable ones. Sean what what comes to mind for you?
0: Honestly I I that stands out to me because it is such a recognizable song and it's become such a key part of the union. I mean I don't I don't know maybe I'm missing somebody but I, I don't know any other team that uses their their goal song as their hashtag. Um they've embraced it so much that whether it's the best one or not I don't know but it's certainly the, the one that stands out the most.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, it it might be slightly better than the boys are back. I will definitely give it that <laughs>
0: um I would bring back the zombie nation if it was up to me for the revs goal so <laughs> I <really> prefer that <laughs> uh James downing on Twitter asks uh, thoughts on Wayne Rooney to d c as head coach and living with his players potentially uh,
1: I think it's pretty interesting uh that Wayne Rooney is coming back to d c and I wonder how long that is going to be a match um he he seems like he wants to progress his career as a manager and his family is staying in england so this kind of strikes me as a bit of a cameo uh maybe kind of a, like similar to a terry henry tenure in montreal where he's there for a year it's kind of exciting it's kind of interesting and then he moves back to england uh, and, and kind of continues his career there so um i don't know if he's going to be able to turn around dc that quickly uh it is interesting that he came in and immediately shipped out julian gressel it seems like he is Compared to some other managers who are more familiar with how it works in Europe, uh, I think Wayne Rudy shipping off Gressel to a Western Conference team for a lot of GAM strikes me as he's expecting a rebuild, and he knows how to rebuild in MLS, uh, and, and that GAM is valuable. So um, it's interesting, and I wonder if we're going to see more pieces selling being sold off. Maybe that benefits the Rose, maybe not. Uh, but uh, I, I found it was very, very interesting that he's uh, kind of starting this rebuild, even though he's not really going to be there that long so i'm i'm curious to see what the vision is there uh, and what he does um I, I i'm not going to gamble on his success but he might you know take a team that's not very talented and lead him to the playoffs and then run off to england if he can um i, I don't know i don't have high expectations for rooney especially with not very much backing from that that ownership group right now. Uh, in terms of living with his players, apparently there's a story that he's considering living with a few of his players. Uh, to me, it's a little weird. Uh, to me, it's a little bit weird. His family's not coming over, so he might be bunking up with a, an assistant coach or something. And apparently, he's talking about living with one of his players. Uh, I think that's a little bit weird. And uh, it's certainly going to be very awkward if he ever throws them under the, uh, the bus in a press conference similar to what uh, Bruce Arena did with Kessler and Petrovic last night. So, <laughs> yeah, I,
0: think, I think the idea of living with your players, and I don't know if there's actually any truth to that because it was the Daily Mail that I think reported it, um, is bizarre and not a good idea uh, for the very reasons you said. It's kind of hard to criticize somebody and then go back and be in the same house with them. Um, just very awkward. But agreeing with you, I don't think it's a long-term play for Rooney. Anytime somebody comes over and isn't taking their family with them, it doesn't seem like they're fully committed to it. Um, And just the fact that, you know, his wife was openly very critical of living in D.C. and didn't like it and didn't like her family living there. Um, It's weird to me that he's back and back in D.C., but uh, it seems like a short-term thing where he's, you know, very focused on kind of building his manager resume and, you know, hoping to use this to launch himself to bigger and better things and not hoping this to be a long-term project. But Mm. I don't know, like, like Greg said, it's kind of a rebuild there. So it's a weird fit, but um, you know, he's a big personality and I'll be interested to see how it works out.
1: It's a very, it's a very odd fit. And and I think he could be a success in MLS because it it seems like he knows what to do. Uh, But I don't think he's going to have the time to do it. So it's a, it's an awkward fit. Yeah. Uh,
0: interesting. Not something I expected to happen. Uh, last question from James Downing. Thoughts on the Philadelphia Union sporting director Ernst Tanner's comments about the LAFC signings. He was not too pleased that LAFC signed Garth Bale and Giorgio Chilani as TAM players.
1: Sometimes when you say the quiet part out loud, uh, you know, the boss man doesn't really appreciate it. I, I, I think er, Ernst Tanner was right in what he said. And... uh yeah. He he probably shouldn't have said it though. Cause I think Garber is, there, there's a lot of hush hush. Uh, yeah, these rules are being bent. Um, I don't want to get too, too heavily into it, but the athletic did a, a podcast, uh, I believe it was allocation disorder where they, they talked about, you know, the rules in MLS and how a lot of GMs sometimes break the rules unknowingly and the rules are too complicated and all this. And, and they kind of did a survey of, you know, how many people, what percentage of, MLS GMs knowingly break the rules, uh, and and they think it's a fair number of them. And I know that there was the issue with Inter Miami a few years ago, where they just were very blatant about breaking the rules, uh, and they had the hammer dropped on them. But you know, there are some stories like with Zlatan coming over to LA Galaxy, and I believe he was a TAM player. uh, But then a few years later, he just happens to buy a stake of a soccer team from Sweden or something that the Galaxy may have been involved in, and. You know, obviously Miami, the only reason they got caught is actually because it was self-reported. So, you know, there's a lot of money off the books sometimes. And I think for Ernst Tanner, it's very frustrating when you're arguably the best general manager in MLS to just see LAFC get these players come over as TAM signings. It's a bit of a, I understand LA is a draw, but I I understand it must be very frustrating to kind of play within the rules and play on a low budget in Philadelphia and and not have the uh, best ownership group in terms of, you know, spending money uh, and then see LAFC kind of get these guys and they're not even the designated players that they should be. So um, I I agree with Tanner's comments uh, in saying the the quiet part out loud and I wasn't surprised he got fined.
0: Yeah, I I agree with all that. The only thing I will say is, you know, it's it's good for the league overall to have these players coming in. Um, So I'm not surprised that they find ways to make it work. Uh, But at the same time, you know, when you're the GM or sporting director of Philly, or when you're the sporting director of the revolution, um, the deals that these guys might agree to, to live in LA are not the deals that they're going to agree to, to live in Philadelphia or Boston. So, you know, whether or not rules are violated, um, I think the frustrating thing is the reality that, some of these big name stars might want to play in LA or New York or Miami. Um, But you know, Philadelphia, Boston, even as big cities, you know, and certainly more so places like Columbus and Austin are, you know, are not going to be able to draw those names um, that the LA's Miami's and New York's of the country and of the league are able to bring in. Um, And yes, it's frustrating. And yes, it's kind of shocking that, you know, Garth Bale in particular, I think he's pretty old. I'm not too, Surprised he was able to come in on a TAM deal, but Garth Bale, that shocked me that he came in on a TAM deal given the outrageous amount of money he was making over in Europe. Um, Yeah, so I I get it and I get why he was fined, um, but I I also think a lot of it is just the frustration that, you know, hey, Garth Bale is not going to go to Philadelphia unless you pay him, you know, significantly more than what LAFC is paying him and probably an amount that's never going to work out.
1: Well, I think DC was interested in Bale, and Bale flat out said no. Uh, I'm, I'm more interested in LA. So th- there is a, a competitive disadvantage for LA teams and Miami and New York, where you're going to be able to get superstars and then tell them, hey, the only way it works out is if, if we have these contracts. So even if it is by all by the books, it's already a competitive disadvantage. And then you get into kind of the shady games where maybe there's some things kind of off the books. Maybe they kind of you know. Uh, heavy incentive deals or stuff like that. Um, You know, I I think there are some really creative accountants uh, in the MLS uh, offices that are uh, taking some liberties in terms of getting certain players in. And I I think looking at the two signings with LAFC, I I think it kind of makes you shake your head and realize that these convoluted rules really aren't working and teams that want to spend money are going to find ways to do it.
0: Yeah, and it, I remember when DC was rumored they were going to spend more money on on Bale than they spent on Wayne Rooney. So it, it seems like they would have given him a lot more money than he's making in LA, unless we, you know, unless unless there's some behind the table money going to Garth Bale that we don't know about. Um, but personally, as a fan of the league and as a fan of big name players that you know still have something left to give and aren't you know 37, 38, um, I am happy to say Bale in the league, and I'm happy to see the way they you know made it work, even if that does mean that. You know the 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 big name cities, uh, or the big appeal cities like Miami, L.A. and and New York get guys that the rest of the league can't. But.
1: I wonder if Colleen Rooney talked to Bale's wife.
0: <laughs> you know what? It could have actually happened.
1: <laughs> That's called full circle, ladies and gentlemen.
0: I don't, are the golf courses not as good? And I mean, they're probably, D.C. gets very hot. It's not good for growing grass. (laughs) The golf courses are probably not very good there, if I had to guess.
1: Uh, I just want to say, yeah, if uh, you really want to remove the stigma of a retirement league, I I think uh, doing your introduction video from a golf course is a, a bad call, but... Hey, you know what? I, I think he knows what he's signing up for. I think he kind of sees this as a a bit of a vacation through the World Cup, and and that'll head back over to Europe if uh, he succeeds there. So yeah.
0: he he says he hopes it's a long term deal. So I think, and if it is a long term deal, I think he becomes a DP next year. But I I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out. If Garth Bale can return to you know a fraction of the form that he had at his best. Um, which to be honest, he did a couple years ago when he you know, finally got healthy for Spurs, then he's going to be a fantastic player in this league. But that's a that's a huge F. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I, I'm much more apt to watch an LAFC game now that he's here. And I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of other people that are, too. So uh, in that sense alone, it's good for the team and it's good for the league.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, he's that's, no <laughs>
0: That's That's true. That's true. Brioni actually might sell for something at some point for the revolution and Garth Bale is just going to be a uh, is definitely not getting sold for money Mm -hmm. Uh, with that Greg any final thoughts
1: Uh, just that you can follow me on Twitter at Real G Johnstone and uh, I just also wanted to point out that Everett is approximately the, the site that this is rumored to be at is approximately three miles from downtown Boston. So if anyone's complaining that Everett is too far away from Boston, uh, just kind of laugh and chuckle because uh, that's a very, very bad take.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: definitely not directed at anyone.
0: You, you really could not put it closer to Boston without being in Boston. But but I don't know who you could be talking about
1: You would have to be really weird To defend Foxborough and trash Everett And then say Everett is too far away from Boston Yeah, that'd be a really weird take to have (laughs) Uh, No one's making it, wink, wink, wink
0: Uh, With that, you can follow me at Twitter on Donahue. You can also follow the podcast. You can and should on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Revolution Recap. We could not make it easier to find. Please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out our friends at The Bent Musket. Uh, Lots of good content this week. Um, Credit to Sam Minton for asking the question uh, that led to Bruce kind of criticizing uh, Petrovic and Kessler publicly. Um, Certainly worth checking that out. And thanks again to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Um, I'm already blanking on, I think the game's a Saturday game. We'll be back next week at some point. Keep you posted on Twitter on when that episode is posted.